Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great, big, wild, wonderful world of tabletop gaming. My name is Brad, and this podcast really does dig into the general idea that there is a gaming renaissance going on right now. There are just so many good games that we could be playing, that we could be spending our hobby dollars on, our hobby minutes, our hobby time, just life. There's just so much going on. And if you're like me, you might have a serious case of FOMO going on sometimes, fear of missing out. So this podcast really does explore some of the games that are out there today that you may not be playing but would like to know more about, uh, the games that my guests and I have been playing, industry events that have been going on, and just, just fun gaming in general. Now, about a week ago was Australia's largest gaming convention. Now, of course, we have PAX, and that is gaming in general, and that is bigger, but CanCon is the big traditional gaming event, and it always takes place on Australia Day weekend. Now, I've actually gotten a lot of messages privately recently, and a few through the Facebook page, um, asking if I can do more bolt action content again, um, or if I've given up on the game. I have not given up on the game. I still love bolt action. I just haven't done a lot with it recently. So uh, to sort of remedy that, I have invited on an old dear friend of the show, a man who's been on many, many times, to talk about his CanCon experiences. Because of course, CanCon was a massive bolt action event with 70, what, 70 plus players? I think they got around 70 after a few drops. So. Coming back to Cast Dice to share his experiences from this year's Bolt Action event is the man, the myth, the legend, one of the most analytical minds in Bolt Action there is, our old friend Lee Avery. Lee, welcome back to Cast Dice. Thanks for having me back yet again, Brad. Bro, the chair is always open for you. I'll tell you, uh, on your analytical mind thing, I certainly did not calculate a uh, heavy mortar rolling sixes four rounds in a row <laughs> that so, was not planned so bolt action happened <laughs> oh it happened badly <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you were uh, because we're in a, a private thread on uh through facebook messenger uh you were you and a couple other folks were updating your games regularly and i you know i'm sitting in iowa in the in the freezing cold knee deep in snow uh and just looking at the results going Ooh, yeah, I wasn't expecting that either. Ooh, yeah, no, bolt action happened there. So uh, it sounds like bolt action happened across the board on the weekend. Is that right? Yeah, it did. I think uh, I was talking to Peter West after the event, and Peter, Peter's the one who organizes and mm -hmm. runs bolt action, has for quite a few years at CanCon and WinterCon, which is the July equivalent for Canberra. That's right. uh, and he basically said, due to the large amount of players, you know, 70 odd players. We really saw the extremes when it came to, uh, you know, dice rolls and outcomes and mm -hmm. things like that, because just the sheer amount of dice being rolled at once, you end up with multiple foobars across, you know, each round mm -hmm. across different tables, because it's just statistically, you're just going to end up with more. And I sort of said to him, you know, it's, it's those real outliers, you know, you get a stack of double ones and a stack of double sixes. But mm -hmm. in the middle, there's a whole bunch of dice rolls that nobody's talking about. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because those aren't the ones that people remember. Those are the consistent things that you expect. But I Correct. mean, I, if you think about it, though, I mean, that's 350 games of bolt action that were played over the weekend, providing it was a five game event and it was, yep. yeah, 70 players.
course. So you would definitely get some interesting statistics uh, from that event if you really went on a deep dive. Um, I think you could get some good trends on that. So well, assume six turns per game. That's two thousand one hundred turns, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. right there. Providing every game finished. Well, I'm saying an average of six because oh, yeah, I know some. I was speaking to some people only got four or five turns in on some games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then obviously, you know, random turn length, some went to seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I never had any game that went to time or my own finished. Uh, coincidentally, they were all six rounds, never had a seventh across the whole weekend. Uh, we either called it at a particular point in time because it was clear one person was clearly mm-hmm. well ahead or, um, you know, it just sort of got to the end, rolled the dice and just came up one to three every time. Yeah. Now, I've been listening to a lot of gaming podcasts, different games, but one of the games I've been listening to has been Age of Sigmar, and there was a huge... There was a huge turnout for the Age of Sigmar event at CanCon to the tune of 200 players, which makes it, I believe, tied to be the largest Age of Sigmar event in the world, um, which is saying a lot, given that I think the event it's tying is run by Games Workshop in their headquarters. So, I mean, that's a massive accomplishment. To the tune of them, in in preparations, they were flying... Um, quote unquote celebrity podcast commentators over from the Honest Wargamer. A um, couple of the guys flew down to do commentary. So when they were streaming the event, which is massive. Um, but why I bring it up is quite a lot of the games that I heard about that were played at the event, it is fairly common for Age of Sigmar games to not finish. People play three turns out of five. And it is really nice to be back talking about bolt action and to have people talking about a major event where everyone's finishing their games. Now, I mean, clearly not everyone, but most games went to time uh, from the people I talked to. I mean, they got to play their full game. So it wasn't like no one got to the end. I mean, I'm sure there are outliers, but generally people finish their games, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And that's that's one of the strengths of bolt action, I think. Would you agree? Yeah, certainly. And I, I didn't... There was a couple of people I spoke to that had games that went to time that hadn't got through many turns. Uh, the general feedback there was too many dice, the opponents, people running 18, 19 dice armies, very yeah. heavy, inexperienced, you know, your Russian hordes kind of thing. Uh, and, look, that's, that's some feedback I gave a couple of years ago as well, playing against some of those armies. You get four turns in because they're just taking so many more activations and generally, you know, if you put a pin on an experienced unit, they're having to do tests, they've got lots of commissars executing people, it's, it's always something going on. Well, that's interesting. Um, I mean, I know traditionally larger armies, um, simply because, as you say, they have more moving pieces, um, do cause or take up more time, um, just because you have more units interacting with more units, and there's more order dice to pull out of the bag. It just takes more time. Um, Given that that was a criticism of bolt action years ago, um, it, you know you hear it every now and again. Do you think that that is still sort of the same level of problem that it was in previous CanCons, or is this maybe less so now that people are more maybe experienced with the game and games are speeding up? Uh, I think it's more people are changing how they're making lists for competitive play in Australia. Hmm. There's definitely, talking to Peter, he said most lists were 12 dice or less. Um, I think most of my opponents were, I I played a 12 dice list myself. 
Mm -hmm. and I didn't play anyone who had more dice than me. Most opponents had 12, 11, 10. One had nine, for instance. Um, He was running a Panther, so that chews up a couple of points. Yeah, no, I'm just wowing because the last time I played in CanCon, I think I had 15 dice, and I had the average. If not, I was on the low side. Yeah, yeah. So I think there's a lot more veteran armies i certainly played more this year i think than previously Mm. Uh, and conversely people taking big tanks and regular troop units and then yeah it was a bit of a mix i mean across 70 armies you're going to get a fair bit of variety but i think in general most people had a tank Mm -hmm. uh, a medium tank or bigger and so that sort of takes up a few a few points that would otherwise go into additional dice so it was, it was fine, I think, overall. Like, none of my opponents uh, played slow or had excessively large armies, but I do know a couple of people I spoke to sort of did run across a few. Mm. All right, but, all right. you know, short of putting a dice cap in place for events on the basis of, well, we need to get through time, um, there's not much you can sort of do about it. And I think just talk to people around playing fast and making quick decisions. If, you, if you're going to consciously decide to bring a high dice army, I'd expect you to be competent enough to take your turns mm-hmm. at, a, at a good pace, not sit there thinking about each move for three, four minutes at a time because it's just going to kill the game. Absolutely. And I know at one point I had um, put a list together that I believe was something like 80, I think 83 Soviet sailors um, slash infantry models that I was going to take to a CanCon at one point um, that I was like, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. I mean, this was in second edition when Tough Fighter wasn't ridiculous in first, but I was thinking, yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. It'll be interesting. It'll look awesome on the table. But one of the first things I did was um, when I was ordering the models, I ordered movement trays so you could fit seven Mm -hmm. infantry models in them and they sort of spaced out coherency apart. And all you have to do is move the whole tray. And I was thinking, if I have that many models, it's going to be ridiculous if I try and play just moving individual models. I've played Skaven. I know how that works. I'm not going to do yeah. it. Yeah, right? So, um, and I also played Orcs. So, you know, you know how it works. But I was going, this is how I'm going to put movement trays and I'm going to move them around. And it's interesting now that um, though that was something that was always done maybe in 40K circles, now Age of Sigmar guys do it. Um, and yeah. so more companies than ever have those products available. Were you seeing those trays out on bolt action tables? Because, man, there's, they were at other systems. Yeah, there's a few people that use them. Uh, generally, they might have something like a seven-man tray, and then they'll have a couple of loose figures around yeah. because it's 10-man unit or whatever. Totally. Uh, personally, I'm fine with people using them. Personally, they're not for me, I think. It just it gets awkward when you suddenly hit a forest or yeah, you've got to sort of try and maintain coherency or you're trying to bunch into a bunker or something. All of a sudden, you're pulling them off it anyway. And mm-hmm. it's just another thing on the table to me. But um, yeah, I'm perfectly fine with people using them. But there wasn't a huge amount of people using them. Um, Flamethrowers, on the other hand, lots of those around. Okay, that was my next question. So what were some of the trends in armies that we saw? Because um, I, I saw I, what I heard was there was a wide variety of like hyper-thematic, you know, what we might consider a fluffy bunny list to, um, you know, some armies that have some teeth and, you know, maybe have a little oomph to them uh, and everything in between. Was that sort of your experience and what you saw as well? Yeah, I mean, there was a good range. I think uh, fluffy bunny lists, I mean, there's probably only a couple of those 
sort of what I would classify under that sense. I mean, mm-hmm. there's was, there was quite a few more theatre-type lists than what I was expecting. Oh, really? Um, they had to be – so the, the general rules for CanCon is um, standard army book lists. Uh, if you want a theatre list, you need to get approval. Um, but I, I certainly played against a couple of different ones over the weekend, mm-hmm. and there were certainly some out there. But I think when you talk about hard armies, generally it's those – small bunch of vet units, um, you know, an armoured car, a tank. There's a flamethrower in there somewhere mm-hmm. in some form and, you know, some anti-tank guns of, of sort of varying levels. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to sort of put something together. It just comes down to individual kit out. Um, certainly came across some German squads that had lots of assault rifles and SMGs in them, mm-hmm. um, you know, Engineers squads seem to be popular. Put a flamethrower in it. Yep. Some Panzerfaust, SMGs, assault rifles, you know. Just it seemed to be units with lots of firepower coming out of them. So whether every unit had, you know, an LMG and, and some um, SMGs in it or something, but just found a lot of dice being rolled a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's partly you've got people coming from across the country, different metas coming together. Mm-hmm. And it's, I know from my experience going to Wintercon last year, uh, there's definitely much more tanks than what I'm used to here in Victoria and Melbourne. Mm. Uh, north of the border, as I say, uh, they tend to put in more vehicles, armoured vehicles, than we tend to use down here. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, mm. I, I guess my next question is, uh, I know that whenever we go to these big events, you do hit maybe not outlier lists so much as sometimes people just bring those those units or those vehicles that you just don't see anywhere else. Um, I know that the Sturm Tiger has made appearance now many times at CanCon. Uh, I yep. know that, you know, you see some random army lists. Maybe not the whole list is something original, but it's a nationality you don't normally see, like the Chinese or, you know, Romanians or something like that. Yep. Were there some things that just people were talking about on the weekend? Because those are always the things that people seem to be talking about. Yeah. Uh, so there was a Romanian list, uh, oh, cool. which I believe was the one that got the Hanoi Swag Award. Oh, absolutely. Uh, lots, yeah. of, lots of hand-sculpted hats and, and bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, looked looked really good and obviously had a very strong theme behind it. Uh, Vehicle-wise, there was a Stem Tiger. Nice. Uh, I personally came up against a Panther. Uh, there was a... I think it was an American AA truck. Oh, the, nice. The, um, it's like not 100% sure which one it was. Was, but it the, had a, was it the one with all of the machine guns or was it the one that has sort of a, um, auto an autocannon? Yeah. I think it was the autocannon version. That's I awesome. didn't play it, but people were talking about it. So yeah. we talk about what was sort of getting around. Uh, and there was a couple of people that had just some cool little converted vehicles, just little cars and, and stuff. Uh, yeah, I sort of had a look around during the rounds and in between. Um, so, yeah, there was, there was a reasonable variety. I mean, there wasn't – I think there was seven Australian lists or something there as well, which is quite a high amount. And then you've got a number of um, – lots of Germans and British and everything is normal. Mm-hmm. And you took British to this. You didn't get your Americans done, so you were taking your paratroopers, right? Yeah, so I – was trying to get a new American <laughs> list painted up. I probably should have started uh, well before Christmas 
instead of the week before. And mm. we had some pretty bad hot weather here over summer. Yeah, you did. And I just there was just days you just literally could not paint. Your, your paint's drying on your wet palette before mm-hmm. it even hits your brush kind of thing. So I ended up uh, – I was, I was pushing through and, and a couple of days before the event I looked at my hobby table and I went, I'm just not going to get this done and I don't want to rush it and I don't want to pull some, you know, really late nights and, and stuff it up. So I pulled the pin and I sent Peter a new list, uh, which was a variation on one of my paratroop lists I used at another event last year. So I was, I was a bit lazy on that aspect. But, um, yeah, just took a, a basic, my usual, uh, I suppose, core paratroops, LT, three squads, mix of SMGs, a couple of LMGs, mm-hmm. and I did a fourth squad just because of the points mm-hmm. uh, and what else was in there there was a medic who saved probably a few guys over the weekend actually nice uh, it, was, it was quite good and then i added in a medium mortar which i find to be reasonably useful the uh recce jeep which i like mm-hmm. with the twin mmgs on top which i'm well known for having uh, I think I'm up to four or five of those in my collection. <laughs> I know it's a bit excessive, but it's okay. Yeah. And then uh, a six-pounder with a tow jeep and finally a M22 Locust. Yeah, so th- that's a 1,000 points though, right? Yeah, that was 1,000 points, yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because you said because of the points you added another squad, and I'm doing the math in my head going, that sounds to be about 1,000 points. And then you hadn't yeah. listed the tank. And when you said the tank, I'm like, that's definitely 1,000 points. Yeah, well, it's, the tank's 120 points. It's a yeah. seven-armor, two-pounder, light AT gun on top. It's uh, it, it doesn't do any miracles. It mostly drives around shooting its machine guns at troops uh, and occasionally takes a pot shot at something. But, um, yeah, plus fours doesn't generally go through too much most of the time no no my chinese have a oh god i can't even think of what is it now um a a soviet tank with a light at gun in the turret and that's about it um Mm. and yeah that i have that simply because the chinese list doesn't have a whole lot of at and that's my at and you just make do um but yeah I mean, it is interesting. Did you find that that was a... I mean, I know you also had the six-pounder, which also isn't a massive gun. But between the two of them, did you feel like you had enough AT, given that there were a lot of tanks in the field? Really, probably not. I think I probably needed a Piat in there, to be honest. Something that was mobile, small, could sneak up and get close to something. I found the six pounder is fine. It gives you a controlled fire lane, but it's easy to avoid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the locust, you know, if it's got to move to take a shot, you know, it's going to be long range. It's going to be, you know, it's moved. So you're looking at fives to hit. So your chances of hitting are lower. And then you're at, yeah. if you're at long range, you're only at plus three on the armor penetration. Mm-hmm. Against an armor eight tank, you're needing a five to glance, a six to go through. It's just it's just a bit average. Uh, I prefer generally the Tetrarch and putting the HE barrel on that, mm-hmm. uh, just so you can lob some a couple of two inch templates at people and, and deal with troops. Uh, plus, uh, it's got a coax machine gun. But the Locust, I was basing it the list on Operation Bar City, which was the only time they were actually deployed to combat. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that's, it was part of the theme of, of what I was doing, which is fine. I mean, I think, um, yeah, you know, 
Sherman, sure, would do more damage, be more survivable, pump mm-hmm. out more shots, but it also costs twice as much. So yeah, exactly. it's always a trade-off. Yeah, it is that trade-off, though. It makes you wonder, do you know? Do I take the Sherman or do I take the extra squad of infantry? You know, that that really is. Because it's one thing to take you know, the heavy tank that's the heavy point sink, like, the, like a Tiger or even a Panther that is going to be a big chunk of your list. But if you're taking sort of a light tank to supplement what you already have, um, it really does sort of, get, often for me, that balancing act of the medium tank versus the light tank but you get that extra squad because you get, you know, you're basically freeing up about a hundred points and you go, which one's going to get the job done? Because that tank isn't going to claim any objectives, but that squad is. Um, but is the squad going to survive given you might run into something with a little kick, um, in the vehicle division. So, yeah, I think that's, it's always that trade off. I, I like to run minimum three squads of eight, Mans. Uh, mm-hmm. Generally, I've found myself gravitating more towards four squads probably over the last six months, just purely for objectives. And I think uh, you come across a um, HE dropping on you and things. You've, a lot of it's around the decisions as do I go down now or do I try and sta- stay standing and, and then keep pushing forwards. And I think over the weekend, I generally made the right decisions on a lot of those calls. There was one poor decision made, but, you know, I only lost five out of eight guys to one hit. <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I, looking back, I was like, actually, he, he really, he only needed a three to hit me. Like, I really should have gone down in that situation. You know, it's, I, I just sort of wasn't focused enough. I thought, oh, yeah, I can take it, and then I'll just keep running forwards and, it was like, uh, no, 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 they're they're just going to be going down for the next couple of turns now, um, yeah. and then they got flamethrowered because you know that's what that's what happened most of the weekend. Um, yeah, but going cool. down, I mean, being a down squad, I was just going to say, being down gives you that defense to uh, flamethrowers as well as big HE guns, but it doesn't, does it? No, yeah. no. So I, yeah, yeah, indirect HE don't care. And flamethrowers ignored down and cover right. and everything. So, and the problem is, you know, they run up to you. They're an assault weapon, but they get within six, which mm-hmm. they need to be to shoot most of the time. You know, they're hitting you on twos. So it's oh no, they always hit on threes. They always right. hit on threes, don't they? Yeah. Um, so you know, there's that that sort of it doesn't really make a difference. But if everything else is shooting at you first, it's a case of well, there may not be anything left for the flamethrower. So. You might as well go down and, and try and survive, particularly with the, the paratroops being veterans. You know, it's a morale check against the flamethrower. Mm-hmm. They, they're stubborn. Test on tens. You know, I don't I don't care if there's one guy left and everyone else is crispy. Um, he's still testing the same regardless of the pins. Yeah, and and they, that, that guy theoretically can cause some damage back the next turn. So. Absolutely. Or claim objectives or, uh, you know, contest. Correct. I mean, that yeah. is one of the things that the, unlike some game systems where, you, you know, it's not one model, you know, more models takes the objective. Um, unless it's specifically written in for a specific tournament mission um, in bolt action, one guy can contest. So as long as that one guy's alive, yeah. you're in business. Yeah. I got frustrated in one of the missions on that. I'd cleared three of his, three, four of his units off mm-hmm. an objective. I had three of my own then get on it, and they just ran a guy over in the last turn and contested for the yeah. draw. And I was just like, I've just spent so long just clearing and then holding, and he just runs in and contests. And I'm like, yeah. 
But yeah. yeah, but I mean, but it is the name of the game. The, that sword yeah. definitely swings both ways. I, I'd, I'd rather prefer that, I think, than the, the you know, mob majority wins mentality, um, simply because it definitely does help uh, certain armies more than others. But I mean, if you were trying to buck that meta of everyone taking small veteran armies, Maybe putting that into a couple of the uh, scenarios into the, you know, objective grabbing ones saying if you have more models, then you take yeah, or majority dice, majority mm-hmm. dice or something. You've got to commit units to mm-hmm. taking it. Um, I mean, in reality, in what war situation where there's, you know, in this case, I probably had 10 guys sitting on the objective from three different squads. Does a does a guy decide, hey, I'm just going to run over there? You know, I mean, it's. <sighs> It's, it's not a realistic outcome. No, no. But, I yeah. mean... Mm. Yeah, if we'd gone to a seventh turn, I would have assaulted him. And, yeah, exactly. You know, but it was a gamble on, on my opponent's side, but it was one that paid off, I suppose. But, yeah. but you know, anyway, that's that's that. Um, right yeah, look, I think everyone had a really positive uh, vibe out of BA um, overall. And... The certainly the, the presentations, you know, generally Australian tournaments, uh, we've got some good sponsors here oh, locally. It's unbelievable, yeah. And yeah, so pretty much everybody walks away with a prize from events. Um, generally, you know, the, the top players get first pick at a prize table, and then you just we generally just call out random names and people just come up and grab something and, and shuffle on. So, you know, you never go away empty handed. You know, I mean, I'm mostly there for the games, I mean, nothing's you know nothing there that we don't spend on war dollies in general that you you're going to be sort of crawling over but yeah, um, exactly yeah it's quite good but it was also pete west's last uh event running as to for mm-hmm. ba in cancon so he's retired so hopefully we'll see him playing some games going forwards yeah. uh, he's been running it for quite a few years now uh, so we had a little bit of a, a pass the hat around during the day uh, his offside of bruce organized all that and um, we gave him a, uh, a a pretty loaded up box full of uh, Conflict Forty Seven models. He's got a Japanese army out of it. So, nice. As I said, a uh, another pile of models that you'll have to eventually get around to painting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so just mm-hmm. added to the problem. Yeah, exactly. I'm glad you brought up Pete West um, because I did want to say and take a minute to acknowledge that because when I came into Bolt Action, um, Pete was a player. And I know that on previous podcasts, I've you know spoken romantically of the first Moab that I went to that I flew up, uh, weirdly with my leg in a cast um, to play. And I played Partisans and it was this big deal that you know someone from Melbourne, at least for me, that someone from Melbourne went up and you know, Bolt Action was a new game, um, but that Melbourne represented. And so I flew up, uh, I met Patch. Patch was the first guy I played. Anthony was the second person I played in that event. Uh, Brian Cook came to visit. And this was well before, you know, that was the first time I met any of those bros. And then eventually, you know, we all got together and, you know, magic happened. But that wonderful event, I think it was the fourth game I played Pete West. Um, and I, I don't think I've ever said that on a podcast, but Pete and I always talk about it when we run into one another is I've played Pete a number of times and I love playing him. He plays quirky, fun lists. And like yourself, Lee, he has a really, um, analytical mind. I mean, I think it has to do with, I mean, his personality and what it is for a job and everything else, but he really, he's a thinking man's gamer. 
And every time I play him, I am like edge of my seat, fingernails on the table going, okay, what's he going to do now? Oh God, how am I going to stop this? And it just makes, cause you know, I'm a bit of an ADHD kind of guy when I play. Um, look, I know my stuff, but it's like playing three. What is that game of chess from Star Trek? That's like on three or four levels. I'm playing on one. He's playing on three or four fields and I'm just going, God damn it. Stop that. Um, but I, I'm glad to see that he'll be able to get back to playing because as awesome a Tio as he is, um, man, playing games is often what it's all about. And I, I just, I'm glad to see that he's going to get that opportunity again. And I really want to tip my hat to him. Um, when he took over, it was from, um, you know, Q man who, you know, did a wonderful job. He really did. He created um, a lot of the big bolt action events from scratch um, with the help of some folks. And I know Pete was, I think, one of the folks who helped him with that. So then when it came to the time for Pete to step up and become TO, um, he did so, um, you know, with class and style. And he's maintained that cool, collected, organized analytical mind um, being prepared for every event he's run. And, you know, to run the biggest bolt action events in the Southern Hemisphere and, you know, it, at points, I think the biggest ones in the world, that takes a lot of prep. And he's always done it, made it look easy. So, uh, Pete, if you're listening to this, um, I hope to have you on the show again soon. Thank you for all of your hard work, man. I, I Yeah. Again, massive props because... The man's a legend, literally a legend in the wargaming uh, world down here. And it's just awesome. I'm just so glad that he's able to play again because I know that he was looking forward to it. And then for whatever reason, he had to keep running a couple more events than I think he had wanted to. Um, that may be a little bit of speculation on my behalf, but again, I'm glad he's able to play. And uh, I look forward to the opportunity to play him again. Um, in an event or not, because he's great. Anyway, um, Lee, tell us more about the event. How are your games? Because it was a five-game event. You took a list that you know very well, um, and you faced a lot of really challenging armies. How did you go? Uh, in the end, I had a loss first round uh, to Richard, and that was the one where his heavy mortar just sat there and just obliterated units one by one. Uh, he literally, out of five shots over the game, the mortar took, uh, four of them rolled sixes uh, and just, you know, instant hits. So, you know, you're, you're losing a dice to that every every turn and then the rest of his army. Uh, I think the highlight of that was I had a squad sitting in a forest. He dedicated three or four dice worth of units to try and clean them out over two turns. Mm -hmm. I made some morale checks and just stuck around and went down at the right times and just generally, you know, made myself a little bit of an annoyance in that corner. But um, tried to tank shock them, pass that check, you know. Mm -hmm. He ended up uh, just flamering them out in the end. But it was... Uh, that was a good little game, but yeah, got a loss there. Just got annihilated. Uh, next game played. Oh, can't remember opponent's name. I ended up having a draw. I want to mm -hmm. say after that, and then a, a win on my third round, and then I had a draw on my fourth Sunday morning, and then a win in my fifth on the, the last game. So mm -hmm. end up with two wins, two draws, and a loss. 
which isn't too bad. No, that's good. That. That's 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 a good good outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, I mean, one of those draws was literally the the guy running into contest. <laughs> so you know, that's that's not. Yeah. Um, like I said, I think that that needs to be tweaked a bit. That's that's my view. They need to move it to a majority dice. So if you commit a chunk of your forces in, then it should represent more as opposed to a single guy. But um, yeah, that was all. That was all good. So yeah, I think overall. Um, that was that was fine. I was quite happy with the result. I was just happy to just go along. I was at the event. I had a, a few other mates, sort of local mates, that were there mm-hmm. playing bolt action as well. Uh, my partner also came along. Uh, she was off playing board games with some of her friends. Uh, there was a group of about nine of us that had come over from Melbourne together, and just a mix of people playing War Machine, bolt action, uh, board games all weekend, Magic the Gathering. And yeah, so it was it was a good little bunch, and then you know the socialisation afterwards, you know barbecues and beers and talking about our games, and then playing more board games at night in the in the accommodation and awesome, <laughs> just a, an overall gaming weekend. Oh, it's so good, man. I do miss those days. I just I find that um, unfortunately because I'm a teacher, I end up having to start school literally like mm. the day after CanCon. And when I used to do it, I, I was a younger man and my liver was in much better shape than I could, I could, I could rock in that first morning and fake it. These days, I, I don't know if I got it in me. But, uh, it's good uh, to do the, you do the six o'clock flight back, back home by eight, mm-hmm. have a good sleep, hydrate. Yeah, I got, I'll yeah. have to try it one of these days. I'll have to try yeah. it, but... Um, <laughs> Well, okay, so you you were playing with a lot of our friends. Um, shout out mm. to our, bu- our good buddy Dan, Pedro, of course, Muddy. Um, you guys were all playing bolt action. Am I missing anyone from our crew who was playing BA? Uh, no, that was pretty much most of the Melbourne crew. There wasn't a lot of Melbournians there this year. Uh, quite a few of the other regular Melbourne bolt action people were there but playing other games. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lockie stuck his head in Sunday afternoon. Yep, he's playing he was AOS. Playing yep. AOS, yep. Uh, and I saw a couple of the other guys around over the weekend as well. But, yeah, there wasn't a big turnout this year. Um, last year there was certainly a lot more um, mm. from Melbourne. I think there's – yeah, I know a number of the guys have had kids in the last 12 months mm. and that sort of adds a, another dimension to your life. Um, so, yeah, I, I think – but, you know, it was still 70 players. There was quite a few locals. I uh, met some guys from Brisbane and Adelaide. So people were travelling from across the country. Uh, played the New Zealander, token New Zealander that came over. Nice, Mark. He was he was a nice guy. We had a good game. Uh, so yeah, it was it was good. That's cool, think, man. Uh, and they all had a good time. I mean, you know, who doesn't like rolling dice? Muddy actually ended up with uh, best painted for his uh, Polish. Glad you said army, that. Yeah, which he was pretty stoked. That's what he was going for. He wasn't going to um, to win games. Although I think he, he got a few under his belt. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was he was mostly there to to try and get his painting. But he's uh, he's working on another army at the moment. He's Russian poles, and uh, so good. They look the vehicles are just exceptional. Yeah. And then um, he's spending a, a bit more time, and I think the practice on the the current list with painting infantry is certainly getting mm-hmm. a bit more um, fastidious with what he's doing. So I think that the new guys are going to look a lot better. Yeah. So I think he's, you know, contention for, for future events. Well, I'm glad he got that recognition because um, he did win at least one painting gong in Melbourne. And I know mm. that, you know, people look at his army and they think it looks great. Um, but not a lot of, t- you know, 
not a lot of people were talking about it, you know, on Melbourne podcasts or whatever else. Um, but man, that army is beautiful. It's striking. And to have it get that, you know, at that big event, sort of a more national footing to to win that gong, it, I mean, that's a big deal. And I'm really happy for him because I know how much time and effort he's put into that army. And man, I can't wait till he brings out the next one because mm. he's his uh, airbrush work. I mean, I remember um, through the thread that we were talking, and I think this is important for people to hear that... Um, especially once you actually see these tanks when he starts rolling them out. But when he started, he wasn't happy. And they looked good, but they didn't look great. Um, and I know he went back to basics and like resprayed a bunch of stuff and really took his time, really did his homework on how to make sure his... Um, his Modulation. Yeah. His modulation, just his basic strategy of how he was going to go about things, just his skills, that he upskilled himself so he was ready. And then he did it. And my God, I, I'm blown away with just, you put those tanks down and I love a cartoony, something that pops on the table. These tanks reach out and punch you in the eye, but in a really subtle way. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I think it's the... I know we used to talk about it in back in the 40k days, but you know, you and I used mm-hmm. to play competitively quite a lot, and yep. you know, it was all about making things pop. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I say you're the the master of pop. Um, but you I know, do. the sharp highlights, the yeah. the things that attract the eye, and I think when you talk about World War Two armies and. We've seen this with uh, Ben Llewellyn's mm. army locally. Ben's right. another ex-40K player, mm-hmm. exceptional painter. Uh, he's done this beautiful SS army um, with, you know, the oak leaf camo through it and everything. But it's just so subtle and so fine yeah. and so historical <laughs> that it doesn't pop on the table. Yeah. So when people are looking at it, you can easily just walk past it and just go, oh, yeah, brown blobs. Yeah. Um, but if you actually pick one up and look at it, you're like, Oh wow, these these are fantastic. Yes. Um, whereas Muddy's army, yes, you've got the brown blobs, you've got um, you know your regular troops. Let's be honest, we're painting in fifty shades of brown. Um, <laughs> yes, you know it's variations of browns and greens effectively for, mm-hmm. for pretty much every army. But then all of a sudden, he's got cavalry, so they sort of stand out a mm-hmm. little bit. They sort of pop out a bit. And then the next thing that's the really eye-catching and the poppy bit for me is the banners. Yes, I mean, it's the flag. He's got these okay. red and white Polish flags and banners and, and stuff strewn throughout the army. So it just attracts your attention. Yeah. And I think it's it's hard to do in a historical setting uh, to try and get that short of people getting really close to each figure mm-hmm. of, um, of your army, you know, and sort of saying, oh, that's the level of detail you've put in. Um, you know, you need something that sort of sort of gets it. I think he's done that. Um, Chris McConus, another another good painter and um, hobbyist. You know, his his German army looks really great. I had a good look at it on the uh, on the weekend as it's, well. It's astonishing. Uh, but yeah. Again, he's got a nice display board. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that he that he sort of it's set up over a bridge and he, he puts his units out and sort of lays them out and everything. But, you know, you've got to get close to see yeah. the, the paint job on those as well. Um, but, you know, there's a display board and yeah, I know there's a bit of controversy around display boards, yay or nay. Um, you know, they can enhance. If you're going for that sort of award, it's another thing, but it's also conversely, you know, it shouldn't be a, 
defining thing. Oh, well, he's got a display board, he doesn't, therefore the display board's better winner. Right. Um, it should be there to accentuate, not to be the be all in it. I don't want to get mm. into that arms race because yeah. I, I did walk through the 40K section of the uh, event yeah, uh, right. on the weekend and some of those display boards, I know we used to make little ones mm-hmm. back in the day. Uh, I mean, at the point where people are putting dry ice, LED, LED installations, um, the, the display bases are taking up a third of a table. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just gone a little bit too far. Yeah. I mean, back uh, in fields. our day, I did one that had uh, that had speakers that played music. Uh, yeah. But that, that was ridiculous. Like, why would I do that? <laughs> it, was just, it was dumb. Uh, and that was back then. And now, and looking at the just um, the run-up to the AOS event, the Age of Sigmar event at CanCon, the display boards were ridiculous. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, same thing. Same, same, same. It was just ridiculous. One, one of them was a pedestal, mm-hmm. like a reading pedestal. Yep. So it actually had a tome that went on top and then the army was displayed yeah. right underneath it. And I was just like, like if, if you're flying into the event, you, you can't bring display no. boards. Agreed. And yeah. I had a look at actually the Age of Sigmar because I had to walk through that. The the events actually spread over three pavilions, right? At the showgrounds, oh, yeah, it's crazy. Big. Um, and not all of them are air conditioned very well. No, so it's a fragrant event in certain yeah. areas. Uh, but yeah, you know, forty k. It was quite funny. So forty uh, k was at the end of one pavilion, and then the Age of Sigma was as further as you could get in the other direction at the end of the of another pavilion. So between the, the, the two big GW games, there was everything else in between. Um, but you had to go outside to move between pavilions as well. So, uh, you know, I, I, it's quite interesting that they separated those two groups so yeah. far away because I think it's um, literally comes out of table space. They, they mm-hmm. have a table cap for CanCon. So, mm-hmm. What happens is individual events open up and it might be, hey, Bolt Action's got 50 tables and Age of Sigmar's got 50 tables. And as soon as your event, as a TO, when your event fills, if you fill quickly, you can request more tables. Mm -hmm. So they don't actually say, oh, you've got 70 max and this person. So that way they fill up events and then you go, can I get 10 more? And you get 10 more. And if you Mm -hmm. fill that, I want 10 more. So they, they sort of manage the volume. They know how much they've got as a total. So if your event is small, people don't sign up, looks like there's no interest, it gets to the point where the, the organisers will sit there and go to the TO and say, we're taking five tables off you, mate. Yeah. Your, your, your people aren't signing up. You've got to go out and drum them up. But mm-hmm. we've got demand for another system and we're trying to fill it up as much as possible. So the end result is you go and the place is packed. And, and it you looks are, great. Yeah. You are touching bum to bum with people behind mm-hmm. you on the other table because it's just, it's packed in quite a bit. Um, but, you know, it's, you end up with this really large range of games um, mm-hmm. because you have a couple there that are just taking up a couple of tables. I saw Star Wars Legion. They were playing on, I think, uh, Monday. Yep. And they had, I think, three or four tables set up. It's just a small group of guys playing that. Um, you know, Age of Sigma took up 100 tables. Bolt mm-hmm. Action took up 35 War Machine, I think they had about 40 tables running over the weekend. Mm-hmm. They run a, a multitude of varied events, so they tend to just grab a spot and, and go. Um, there was some absolutely astonishingly beautiful um, chain of command tables. Were there? Um, I didn't hear that. 
They were um, hit Pedro up for some photos. He took a few. These were Pacific Jungle and um, D-Day landings and stuff. I did see stuff. those. I saw the Pacific yeah. ones. I didn't realize yeah. that was uh, Chain of Command. I thought for some reason it was something yeah. else. Oh, that's no, fascinating. So those were those were astonishing? Were those people that I mean, were those sort of games that people could walk up to, or was that something that you had to sign up for in advance and paint an army like Bolt Action? I know it's yeah. a different game and they, it works differently, having played it. But was it a sign-up game or was it something? Yeah, that... pretty much. Pretty much everything was pre-sign up when it comes to miniature gaming. Yeah, um, I think the only things you possibly could have walked up to to say, "Hey, I want to." jump in on your event was probably uh, Blood Bowl because they're just sort of the area they were in that a few extra tables mm -hmm. um, because, you know, might get some walk-ins and that. But there was, yeah, I mean, there wasn't any blood uh, Bolt Action demo tables or anything. Um, certainly we had lots of people coming past asking questions, you know, had a chat to a few people. Uh, a couple of guys I know locally here in Melbourne that have sort of had a look at it before but hadn't, haven't dipped their toes in, you know, they came past to check it out and had a bit mm -hmm. of a chat with them and, a couple of them went and bought some water dice, so you know mm -hmm. you never know your luck. But um, yeah, there was there was some game demos, but most demo stuff was board games. So mm -hmm. uh, the larger retailers that attend the event uh, are mostly sort of board game or generalist game um, suppliers. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's local stores and that, uh, so they sort of run demos usually for new games that either recently been published or might have um, won some awards from Europe recently. Mm -hmm. So they'll, they'll be there to promote those and they'll have a you know show special. So you can learn to play it and then if you're into it, pick it up. Uh, the other big thing that CanCon has that's, uh, I think, sort of packs as reflects on it as well is, is a board games library. Yes. And having been at CanCon repeatedly for the last few years, uh, it's just got bigger. Every year, it's now taking up half of one of the pavilions. Really? Uh, it is insanely large. Um, I remember a few years back, it took up about a quarter. Yeah, that was the last time I saw it. That's crazy. Yeah, I didn't realize it had been growing. Expanded it and expanded it each year. So they've got their own little fenced-off area, and it's just tables and tables, and there was packed the whole weekend just a lot of people casually coming in you know they don't need to sign up for a three-day event they can just come in for the day and, and pay a day's access fee mm -hmm. uh i think it was like 15 bucks for the day mm -hmm. and it was like hey go and have 12 hours of board games um certainly cool, quite a few of my group that were there were into that and spent quite a few hours in there learning new games and uh <laughs> having experiences with various levels of uh, board game people and knowledge and, and some mm -hmm. funny stories out of that. I'm but, sure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's that's been a big change. Um, and then, yeah, I think some smaller games, you know, there's always the – I'm not quite old enough yet myself. You're probably closer. But, you know, there's the Ancients and the Napoleonic Skies. <laughs> there's mm -hmm. the, the really tiny 10 mil, 15 mil ancient yeah. stuff. And they, they're playing on little two-by-three tables and um, – there's, there's, you know, always a dozen of them hanging around and, and playing some games. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm trying to think what other systems there were. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. You name most major systems and, and they, they had a presence there. Now, what's interesting is, um, given how popular the game is worldwide, uh, including in Australia, uh, Gaslands was not, there was an event and it was cancelled um, because its yeah. tables got pulled. 
um, so I think a lot of people saw it as more of a casual game. I wouldn't have been surprised if people were playing it think, for fun on the I side. I don't think tables got pulled. I believe the TO had a family thing come up. And oh, is that what happened? Ha- yeah, he had to can it because there was certainly um, plenty of empty tables in the BA area because we had that book for Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, in that, a uh, couple of the guys actually um, set up some casual games at Gaslands on the Monday. Nice. Um, so there was plenty of tables, yeah. Um, I don't think there was a huge amount of people that had signed up either, which probably didn't help. Yeah, no. Um, I heard from a few people that they were looking to play, you know, play quote unquote bigger games. Uh, mm. That they were planning to play Gaslands, as you say, on the side. Um, I didn't realize that was the case, but of course we had um, Drew because I had to fly back to the states for a family emergency. Um, I did not actually get to play, but Drew ran an awesome Gaslands event here at Good Games uh, that weekend. It was fantastic, and I'm really sorry I missed it. Um, but from what I heard, it was a lot of fun. So I, hopefully we'll have him on soon to talk about how that went and uh, some of the things he learned, because I know he definitely walked away learning a lot um, about Gaslands and the way it interacts in an, as an event game, which is cool, because it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I, certainly the um, the guys who were playing it, so it was Pedro and Dan from our group, mm. um, They a couple of people come past and, and they just sort of said, hey, do you want to drive some cars around? So nice. there was certainly people popping by and having a look at it and going, what's this? Because, you know, a bunch of Matchbox cars on the table mm-hmm. and, and people sort of having a bit of a laugh and, and that sort of thing. And so it certainly attracts attention. They also sat right next to a walking walkway and, mm-hmm. you know, it sort of helps a bit. Um, but, yeah, you know, I think it's, it's certainly... I think people are interested in it. I think it's just probably got to get a bit of momentum behind um, regular play. I I know certainly here in Melbourne on every fortnight, there's a little group that's gathering in the city. And I know there's Mm -hmm. a couple out in the, uh, out at Axes and Ales club that are playing Mm -hmm. on Thursday nights. So we should probably get up there for a beer one night, actually. Amen, brother. We got to Yeah. It's, it's in the city, uh, run by the awesome guys at Knights of Dice. Those guys are fantastic. Not only are there, is there, you know, are their buildings beautiful as all the laser cutting and the cases and everything else they've been doing great, but now they're running their own game night in a brewery. So why are we not there, Lee? Because uh, by the time it gets to Thursday night, I think we're both dying. Yeah, exactly, because we're both dying. But yeah, one of these days yeah. we'll have to get a school holiday and make a night yep. of it. It's just it's a short trip on the train too. It it's is. not far out. Yeah. I, I really I wonder why we're not committed enough. Yeah, <laughs> it's a man, it's just we, I think we're just hopeless city dwellers. But uh, yeah. yeah, moving on. Um, so let's let's get back to bolt action. So um, bolt action. What were some of the, I guess having had this experience, I know you've been very focused on and working on your American Army. I know you said you didn't start painting it until. Um, recently, but yeah. you've you've been working on this American Army for a long time. Um, given your experiences of late, especially CanCon, do you think that has you know colored the way that you've seen your new army? Um, do you have any plans to change things, add things now that you've been playing around and seeing what people are taking? Um, are you basically shifting to face maybe a new meta? W- what are you thinking? I'm not changing anything. It's too far down the, down the track. <laughs> <laughs> no, I started, the concept for this army actually was on the, it's a, 
if you drive pretty pretty straight, it's about a seven hour drive from Canberra back to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the drive back last year, um, yeah, we, we do it as a boys' trip. We all jump mm-hmm. in the car and we we stop for ice cream and and, and stuff along the way. But we um, we sort of bashed around a few ideas post last year's event, and I sort of had bubbling in the back of my mind doing the American Buffalo Soldiers and sort of nutted out a list because, you know, mm-hmm. we've got army books just lying around. And yep. <laughs> we just sort of talk as we travel and, and passes the time. And, yeah, I came up with a concept and I sort of then played around with a few lists and then there was a sale on, I can't remember, somebody had a sale mm-hmm. and, and they just happened to be on it. And so I picked up a, a few boxes and I was like, all right, I was starting to commit to this. Um and I just sort of grew from there and I played around with a few different listings and then I did some proxy games just to see mm-hmm. uh, how I felt about things. There's been a few little tweaks along the way and I pretty much solidified it, I think, sort of late last year <clears throat> or probably around maybe September, October and, and went, okay, this is the list I'm going to build for CanCon mm-hmm. and I sort of got stuck into sort of finishing the assembly and um then sort of you know getting it all organized and yeah and then I sort of I sort of took my eyes off the ball I had a bit of a bit of a lazy time in regards to hobby and and then all of a sudden I'm like oh I better start start painting this and um yeah so you know it's as a list it's it's regulars as opposed to vets that I've been running for a few years Mm -hmm. I think it's um certainly got you know, it's fighting against regulars. I sort of notice, you know what, a couple of pins, it's it's pretty, has a bit of an impact. It does. Vets, vets I'm happy to take two, three pins and maybe potentially keep pushing rather than rallying. Mm-hmm. Regs, ooh, three pins, definitely rallying. Yeah. You know, it's it's a much different decision-making process. Um, the ability to move and shoot with the rifles, that's pretty cool, but it's just removing, it's just making statistics slightly better. Mm-hmm. Um, you're still generally shooting long range at someone's in cover people, you know, if the tables are well constructed. So mm-hmm. you're still hitting on fives as opposed to sixes. If they go down, you're on sevens anyway. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's sort of a little bit of mobility. I've, I think the one thing I've done, I've taken um, full strength squads, three of them, and then another 10 man unit. So 12s, three 12s and a 10. Uh, that's basically represent. I'm trying to represent the the units as they'll deployed mm-hmm. in '44. Um, they were a freshly raised and trained battalion out of America, and then they, their mm-hmm. first deployment was straight in Italy. So, you know, they went in as full squads. They weren't late war veteran paratroopers that had done you know three or four airdrops, and their mm-hmm. units had been depleted, or you know they're fighting in Forest of Bastogne or something. So. It was very much around. Well, this is this is a fresh unit. They're clean. They're they're freshly shaven. Their vehicles mm-hmm. are rolling straight in, uh, or vehicle in this case, yeah, just one say. Sherman in. Um, so yeah, that's sort of how I've approached the list. And um, yeah, I don't think I'd change anything. It's got a couple of AT shots in it across the board. It's got a medium mortar because YOLO. But um, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's there's no sniper. Um, they mm-hmm. didn't have snipers. Uh, I've gone off what I was able to find photos off. So I found photos of them with bazookas. I found photos of them with uh, the, the medium mortars. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found some photos of them with artillery batteries as well. So um, anti-tank guns and some howitzers. But uh, they didn't didn't have tanks. Um, 
there were some uh, M10 tanks deployed in Northwest Europe that had coloured crews, but they were um, Italy was just the pure. That they were the 92nd Buffaloes, mm-hmm. um, and they didn't have their own armour at that time. So, yeah, the the the, the actual unit and what was deployed is, is what's actually shaped a list more than anything. That's awesome. Um, and that was sort of the, the, the key thing I wanted to get across. And then the second part is then modelling and painting that up appropriately to make it, you know, represent and be as, as Hanu swag as possible. Hell yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the things, and that's something that um, I know you and I have talked about, um, and I know I've talked about with a number of people offline. I'm not sure I've done a whole lot of talking about on this cast i know i talked about for a while i stopped listing i just i have not actively sat down to make an army list in forever i sort of show up to play friends casually with an with an army and i pull it out on the table and i go uh here's some unit here's some units here's some units here's some units okay go and it's sort of it's my way of keeping my brain from trying to turn into like hyper competitive mode and it's just like Mm. oh no prior thought Bam, now deal with it. And I'm not talking about taking like optimal size squads or whatever. It's like random crap. Throw it down. Now now come to terms with it. And um weirdly, playing like that, I think has made me a better player because it's it's forced me to um, you know, reevaluate what's going on. And I think bolt action's a great game for that. I know on a lot of gaming podcasts for a lot of games, they're talking about, you know, getting your reps in, doing, you know, improving your muscle memory by playing the same list over and over again. So you know what it does, you know how to, you know, anticipate what you're, you know, for maximum efficiency. And I'm going, yeah, I'm going to throw what I want on the table and I'm going to play some games. I'm going to have some fun. Um, and I, I think it makes me, you know, a, a better all around player to constantly change what I'm doing. Um, I mean, albeit bolt actions designed to be everything sort of same samey, you know, you don't have a wall of paid, you know, a page of rules for every unit that's different from every other, right? A guy with a rifle is a guy with a rifle. Yeah. Doesn't matter which army list he's fighting in. I think the the point about muscle memory, I think, is less um, impact for bolt action because of that standardization across lists to an extent. Totally. Um, you know, you compare it to something like war machine, you need to know your army back to front. Like you can be a great player, but if you pick up a brand new army, you're not going to do as well as if you pick up something, you know. Okay. Well, that's interesting. So with the game like war machine, um, like you said, where you need to know the rules, muscle memory becomes far more important. And I guess that makes sense. You need to know what your army does um, if you're going to use it effectively on the tabletop. Um, do you think that there's a there's a time and a place? I mean, when we used to play competitive 40K, and I mean, I, I look at that as being sort of in between sort of bolt action and games like Age of Sigmar and War Machine now, which have more individual units per uh, sorry rules per unit um do you think that constant repetition with the same list is important or do you think that um a little bit of this a little bit of that will get you across the line or is it a combination of both uh i think it depends on the game system more than anything Mm. so i think i would compare well certainly my approach to bolt action is probably similar to my approach to 40k back in the day Mm. now I, I was, I mean, let's be honest, I was never first placing events or anything in 40K. Um, I was sort of generally 
you know, in the, the top area, but yeah. I was never sort of on the podium regularly or anything like that. But, mm. you know, I think it's the same sort of theory of let's write up some lists. Sticking with the same faction I found with 40K was a big thing. Yeah. I played Eldar competitively for years. Oh, that's and great. yeah. You know, yeah, I, I, I could literally sit there on the train, going to work, and I knew the points values, everything in my codex. Mm -hmm. And so I could sit there and write up a list without having to reference a book and I could come up with ideas. So it was more around experimenting with different units to find what I was comfortable with as a strategy and player and what fit well, and then taking that and building lists around it. And then not so much, you know, I mean, you sort of end up building sort of a core that you use and then you sort of, you know, if you keep doing the same thing all the time, you're going to get bored to an extent. So right. you'll change some stuff up, but you'll always keep that core kind of thing, which is effectively what I've done with the paratroopers over the last few years. Had a core little bit, and then I've just played around with all the options, different events, take something different, you know, and that's sort of been my focus. Um, and whereas something like War Machine, and I, I haven't touched the New Age of Sigma stuff, um, but, you know, where you have individual units or figures that have a plethora of individual special rules or Mm -hmm. abilities. Um, You need to know them as the player because if you don't and you're having to constantly reference it or you'll miss something, you're disadvantaging yourself Mm -hmm. in a competitive sense. So in that sort of competitive environment, you need to be on the ball and the best way to do it is to actually know your stuff back to front. And I've always sort of said this about War Machine, well, for about a decade I've probably been saying it, is you will beat someone who's a good player but picks up a new army if you are a okay player but you know your army back to front mm. because they will miss things on theirs and you will just know exactly what to do. And yeah. I think I sort of, you know, I mean my general play style is I'm going to try and out-attrition you in a way. I will mm. pick what is the best statistically or, or you know, option for me to take at this point in time to remove whatever pieces I see as the greatest threat and apply that pressure until that unit's neutralised or, or, you know, whatever's gone Mm -hmm. and then I'll move on to the next thing. So, you know, I often play people and they'll be like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I've got three units here. Oh, one of them's going to shoot that unit, one's going to shoot that unit, one's Mm going to shoot that other unit. And it's it's the old you're fighting two dragons thing from D&D days. That's right. Do you pile all your attacks on and kill one dragon first or do you hit both dragons? And the answer is you kill one dragon as quick as possible because mm-hmm. two dragons attacking you are going to cause twice as much damage as one dragon attacking you. So a lot of it's, um, for me, tactically, it's always around remove as many threats as you can. So in bolt action, try and remove as many dice from your opponent as possible because then you get the more dice advantage mm-hmm. and you'll be able to string up more dice removal to the point where they're literally just sitting there going down or just trying to survive rather yeah. than fighting back. So, um, you know, that's, that's, that's just my play style. And I know there's other people, um, certainly War Machine uh, is a great tactical example because there are multiple ways to win. It's not just a straight up, you know, dice attrition thing. Um, you know, if you kill the opposing general, that's an instant win straight away. And people work on and build lists around removing, creating a corridor through the enemy army mm-hmm. to then go for the go for the general and, and chop their head off effectively. The old spear um, tip, yeah. Drive yeah, it through and take out the general. That's right. Yep. Open a gap, 
go for it. You know, so there's entire lists that are built around that concept. And then there's other lists that are built around attrition. I'm just going to take up the biggest, toughest armoured guys I can, form a wall, and we're just going to grind it out. But because I'm harder to kill, you just won't get through me before I eventually grind you down enough and get an advantage. Yeah. Um, and then there's stuff in between, you know. So there's sort of different play styles there, whereas bolt action, a um, if you built an assassination list to go for the general, oh, great, you killed my LT. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's awesome, dude. He comes to Sherman. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, so okay. it's, it's a different play. So. It is. But I think uh, taking your what you were saying um, to a more bolt action-centric uh, conclusion, if, I mean, the, if we put the Sherman in that place, though, people do build the list to get rid of the armored assets, the things that are mm. really going to put out the punishment um, or put things in like snipers and mortars that can take out the artillery pieces that might likewise screw up your army. So you can, uh, I like that there are those answers to the units that can really mm. mess you up. And then, of course, your opponent takes the sniper to get rid of your mortar so that they can keep firing their artillery piece. But then you can take your own sniper to shoot their sniper. So, I mean, there's, it, it does lead to some interesting listing. I mean, Options. I mean, one of the problems with bolt action, and when I say problems, this is coming from a place of love. I do love the game, and I play it. I, I mean, clearly, I've talked about it for countless hours on podcasts. Um, is that you know certain units are really good uh, in the game for their points, um, and I know that people always talk about oh you know snipers are so much better than for example a medium machine gun and they cost the same price. Um, I just think that you can find a place for a lot of things um, if you think outside the box and you sort of synergize well on the tabletop with what you're doing, have a plan. Um, I don't know. I, I, yeah. So I, I've been thinking a lot about bolt action of late um, and thinking, you know, I have, I have quite a few armies, um, but a lot of my armies tend to be very similar. Um, I, th I think like you, we're talking about having a play style. Um, a lot of my armies involve, you know, the basic infantry squads, um, you know, a few specialist squads added to that, and then a couple of vehicles which is, you know, kind of bare, you know, the basics of what you were talking about before, except mines are always regular. Um, or running hyper-fast, hyper-hitty, glass-jawed armies that get up, eliminate, you know, an army from one flank and work their way across. Um, but, you know, if someone's able to get their guns to bear, I'm toast. I love those two types, types of army. But I really do, I, I keep thinking, like, why, why are we not seeing walls of infantry? Um, and I mean, I think it is a, a play, a, I don't know. Uh, a, it's, it's an infantry game. the damn thing. But yeah, it's an infantry yeah. game. I really think in the case of like Soviet, um, like a Soviet guard army um, is, I think, probably in my mind, if you really wanted to do it, the army to do it, because you get free squads, you get the access yep. to Panzerfaust, SMGs, um, yep. you can sprinkle throughout a largely rifle heavy list so you can have some, uh, you know, enough toys to make it, you know, sort of all comers, but have the, the rifles to keep it cheap and cheerful. Um, to get the guys down on the table, plus the commissars to keep people in the battle and the national rules that keep people from running away or being destroyed, that's pretty good. Um, that said, while we're talking today, I, I happen to notice uh, a little box on the side of my desk, and it is 
my Japanese paratrooper army. <laughs> <sighs> Which you'll get there. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Um, because the army's largely khaki, and as you were joking earlier, Fifty Shades of Brown, um, I was... It's interesting, having looked at a lot of different game systems recently and having listened to a lot of podcasts and look at a lot of watch a lot of videos while I was traveling um, through YouTube, um, I, I, a few people have recommended a few um, painting videos to me. Um, I went out to dinner with the awesome Dwayne. Um, I'm not sure he wants... Dwayne Zolak. Um, he's been on this podcast in the past. He's an old friend from GW. When I was in the States, we caught up and went to the... Um, the Bill Murray restaurant in Chicago run by Bill Murray's brothers and, you know, had some beers, had some, had a great dinner, just caught up talk shop. And he turned me on to a, um, age of Sigmar guy who has done some painting stuff. And what this video was, was using makeup brushes, um, yep. to aid in dry brushing. Um, to get a really subtle, because you know, often when you dry brush, you get you can see the lines, mm. um, but by using the makeup brush, because it has so many bristles and they're so soft, it it really cuts that down. And all of a sudden, I was looking at these Japanese paratroopers and the khakis going. If I do a light brown and then do a khaki dry brush on top and like a bone dry brush on top of that, and then use some of the quick shade on top of that. Huh, I wonder how fast I could crank out an army. Pretty quick. Yeah. I think you've added a few extra steps there. I um, One thing painting the buffaloes I've realized is I should have just spray undercoated, um, base coated every single model, khaki, mm -hmm. given it a brown wash, and then just gone over with the different shades of brown as the highlights. Because uh, mm -hmm. I went through and did the original colors and I've, wash them and then now I'm going back and highlighting everything again and it, because the browns are so close together um, and there's not a huge amount of variation probably just doing a single brown base color washing it straight away and then going back over with your different colors is probably going to give you a enough variation um, yeah. to get that solid base to start I think that's yeah I would probably do it a bit different um, it was a bit different during the paratroopers, though, because there was distinct brown and greens and right. camo involved. So mm -hmm. that sort of technique doesn't work for them. But I think definitely the Americans would. Um, yeah, it, there's lots of different techniques out there. And Absolutely. a lot of it comes down to personal style. You know, I've, I've got friends who do two-brush blending. I know other people that sit there with tiny little micro brushes and mm -hmm. do sharp edging and all sorts of weird stuff. You know, I... The vast majority of my paintings done with a size three brush. Wow. Yeah. That's, um, that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? A lot of it's around getting the paint to the right consistency mm -hmm. and just flow control. Don't overload the brush. Mm -hmm. Flow it, steady hand. Um, and make sure your brush yeah. has a tip. Yeah. And that's that's the big thing. You know, I do eyes with a, with a slightly smaller brush. I was going to um, say, I've yeah. seen your eyes. It makes me wonder yeah. what you're using. Yeah, not the size three. But, um, yeah, I've got a size six that I use for base coating and then a size three I use for, for then doing, like, actual the detail detail work on stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even thin thin lines on berets and stuff is done with a size three. It's just around not overloading the brush and not squishing it into the model, just keeping yeah. control. So, yeah, uh, and another good use for makeup brushes, a little tip for the, for the various people, good for cleaning dusty Lego. Oh, 
because it's uh, quite soft bristles. They don't cause your bits to uh, like pieces to fall off the models. I wonder if that would be good because, um, you know, we live in the city and dust is sometimes an issue. And I've got a big, yeah. beautiful glass case full of models that occasionally need a dust. Um, Get yourself a puffy makeup brush. Just yeah. go to Priceline. They're pretty cheap. Love it. Love it. I know what I'm doing tomorrow. Beauty tips with Brad and Lee. That's it. <laughs> well, Lee, I'm getting my beauty tips from you. So <laughs> I think we know who's the prettier man in this podcast. But um, I think on beauty tips from Brad and Lee, I think that may be, uh, I think that may be our, our time to call it a night, Lee. What do you think? Yeah, I think I do need my beauty sleep. <laughs> As do I. Uh, I think I need a lot more than you do because the new school year started and I'm hurting. But uh, all right. Brother, uh, as always, thank you so much for coming on. It has been a pleasure just to sit down and talk shop. And uh, it's been nice to go back and talk about bolt action. I think we'll have to do this more often, man. Not just with you, but talk bolt action in general. It's just uh, it's been a long time. Next event's five weeks away. Yes. Are, Are you taking the Buffaloes? Yes, oh. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna crunch them out. They're almost done. Like it's, I'll, I'll get stuck in. They'll be done. Yeah, I've been thinking because I have the beautiful great coat Japanese army that uh, Patch painted up the, uh, the infantry, and I painted everything else. And I just need to put the finishing touches on the vehicles, and paint. I think two artillery pieces, like one artillery piece and one mortar, is why I say that. And I think the army's done. And I'm looking at it, going, I should really put that on the table because I played it tons casually. I've never played it in an event, and the army is gorgeous and deserves it. That or oh, Andy Singleton's beautifully painted uh, late war Germans that I have from him with some weird ass vehicles might be fun. God, there's just so many. There's so many good. So many. You've good got a big events. collection. This is your problem. It is actually my problem. <laughs> um, and I, uh, Pete West, helped me out by getting me a Diana. Um, oh, the yep. DAC, uh, SD Kevin, uh, KFZ seven, uh, with, the artillery piece built in the back with the high walls on either side that just looks so sexy. And I'm looking at those going, yeah, but then of course we have new Italian rules and I have an Italian army and I'm going, Oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> so, um, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. I might figure even kick out. out some Japanese paratroopers, but probably not. Honestly, I got enough to paint. Um, yeah. anyway. On that note, ladies and gentlemen, I do have to say it has been a pleasure uh, talking tonight, and I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have any feedback for us, um, you can give us uh, a message over on Facebook. If you go to Facebook and you type in Cast Dice, that's C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E, you will find uh, the Facebook page for this particular podcast. Uh, Please message the page. My name is Brad. I will be the one answering it because it is mine. Uh, and I love hearing comments. I, people have been sending me pictures of stuff they've been working on, uh, games they've been playing. I've been getting requests for uh, some episodes, and we will be taking people up on those. There are some great uh, content coming your way in early 2019. I don't want to give it away yet because um, we're still getting a few gears uh, turned so that the machine will run, but um, there's some really cool stuff coming down the pipe for you guys, and I hope you really like it. Um, and again... A lot of people knew that I was traveling because of family. Um, thank you very much for all the kind messages and um, understanding that you know I wasn't always messaging quickly because I was traveling. Um, and man, long distance travel is brutal. But anyway, thank you guys. Uh, if you would like to see the new Cast Dice Twitter page, it's again Cast Dice. I think it's Cast Dice One on Twitter. Guys, there's yeah. 
I would Twitter's pretty bare at this point, but we'll get there. Um, I'm waffling. I think that's time to call it a day. It's been the first day of school, and I'm exhausted, and I'm just glad that you've put up with me this evening. Again, thank you, Lee, for coming on. And as always, when you are playing the games that we know and we love, I hope that your beverages are cold. I hope your dice roll hot. But more than any of that, I hope you are having fun. This is Cast Dice saying good night. Thank you.